0: Good morning. It is so great to see you here today. My name is Saul Flores and I serve at Puente del Pueblo Ministries. Each year, our Elder Nominating Committee asks church members and attendees to submit nominations for consideration as elder candidates. Today, you can pick up an elder nomination sheet to review the qualification for elders to get more details on the process and how to submit a nomination. If you're online, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter at wheatonbible.org newsletter to get the details this week. Thank you for your help in this important part of our church leadership. Tonight, we're having a West Chicago Campus Prayer Night. You're invited to join us as we thank God for all He's been doing in our lives and pray for our ministries, leaders, and volunteers as we enter our new ministry season. It takes place tonight at 6 p.m. in the East Worship Center. We'll see you there. Every year, the campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner to create the Puente del Pueblo Summer Program. A 20 summer program, peer-to-peer relationship, academics, life skills, and faith development have all been key points of learning for our students. This year, the theme was With Me in Paradise, taken from Luke 23, 43, where Jesus told the man next to Him on the cross, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Throughout this summer, we wanted to communicate to our students that Jesus promises not only the idea of a new and better world, but more importantly, His presence with us. Take a listen to what one of our entrants had to say about serving with us this summer. God's presence is truly with Monte del Pueblo. I have seen myself grow both personally and professionally and have seen astounding academic, emotional, and spiritual growth in the lives of those we minister to. I have never seen heaven touch down in the same way that it touches down here. From the incredible team of teachers and leaders who will encourage you and uplift you, to the students who will touch your heart just as much, if not more than you touch theirs, Puente is truly a slice of paradise. I want to say thank you to all of our volunteers at Puente del Pueblo. Through all your generosity, ministries like this can thrive and support our local community. A great way you can give is by serving this school year with one of our Puente del Pueblo after school programs. If you would like more information, you can visit our table in the atrium or go to wheatonbible.org volunteer. Thank you for being a partner in ministry and for spending part of your week with us today. We hope you have an amazing week.
1: the Lord of heaven and earth. Lift her voice, church. Sing to him. his name. Jeremiah said in chapter 9, verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord so we today boast in Jesus
2: Some melodious song sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy.
1: to face and he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him forever and we will enjoy the Lord our God no hindrance no sin no power will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus amen church we long for that day come Lord Jesus we pray speak to us and feed us by your word we pray
3: Good morning, familia. I wanted to share with you something that we have been wrestling with as the leadership of the church. As you know, uh, this last year has been full of changes and unexpected turns. And as leaders of the church, we have sought the Lord's guidance and try to pay attention to what's happening in our context, to listen to the congregation, and to recognize the times uh, and to uh, embrace our new normal. A few weeks ago, we shared with you that our desire was to go back to the way things were Pre-COVID, traditional service in the East, contemporary service in the West, and our service times the way they were before. But after much prayer and conversations with the leaders and the staff of the church, and after reading some of the responses we got from many of you in the survey uh, we did a few months ago, we understand that what is best for a church at this time, and what is best for adults and children that are part of our congregation, is for us to continue doing what we have been doing so far with a minor change. We will keep our traditional service in the West worship at 8.30 a.m. We will keep our contemporary service in the West worship at 10.30 a.m. And we will keep our Spanish service in the West worship at 12.15 p.m., but this may change to 12.30 p.m. in the near future. Now, why do all of this? Well, here's a few reasons. Number one, we really want to continue to provide for you the best worship experience we can give you. Number two, we want to have plenty of time between services to be able to connect with the congregation. That is something that is extremely important to me, and I know that it is, it is also important to the staff. Number three, we understand that at this moment, it is better for us to do fewer things, but to do them well, versus more things, but not as well. And number four, we really want to take the extra time to make sure that all of our ministries have what they need in order for us to love you and serve you well. I want to thank you for praying for us. I want to thank you for praying with us. I want to thank you for being part of the church. We love you.
4: Speaking of love, I want you to know, if you don't already, I love that guy. And you are going to be in great hands under Hannibal's leadership. We've had the privilege of working closely like father and son for a number of years now, and I am so, so thankful for Hannibal and so excited about what's going to happen here at Wheaton Bible Church in the days and the months and the years to come. Would you bow with me and let's pray? Father, we come to you this morning because ultimately where else do we go? If there is no God, there is no hope. There is no basis for morality, no basis for human rights, no basis for meaningful discourse. If there is no God, life is meaningless. But you exist, and you are the great, good king. Not just the king of our lives, not just the king of planet Earth, but the king of the universe. You are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. As Isaiah tells us, you will not grow weary or tired. Your understanding, no one, no one can fathom. And the promise of the gospel is those who hope in you will renew their strength, will experience contentment and peace, regardless of what life throws at us. And Father, in light of that, we want to pray for the country of Afghanistan. We would be remiss if we did not come before you and plead for peace, that you would thwart radical Islam, ISIS, the Taliban, that you would protect believers in the different cities and villages of Afghanistan. We know now that many have lost their lives And we pray for those that are still alive, either that they might escape or that they might be protected and somehow you would continue to build your church in this hostile, crazy, awful situation. We pray for the leaders of our government. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment, that they would act prudently and swiftly We pray, God, that you would work a miracle. We thank you that you are working incredible miracles among Muslims throughout the world. That you are revealing yourself in dreams and visions. And you are, as our Lord has promised, building your church. We pray, God, for uh, this hurricane that is supposed to be so awful that's about to hit uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. We pray, God, that you would slow it down. The wind speeds, the hurricane speed would slow way down. That the devastation would not be what's anticipated. We pray, God, uh, for this whole situation with COVID and the Delta variant, uh, these other variants that uh, scientists are talking about, and we pray, God, that you would bring it to head, and it would go away. And that we would begin to experience, not just here in the United States, but around the world, freedom from this pandemic. God, our hearts are heavy this morning when we think about what's going on in the world When I, I think about what many of my brothers and sisters here right now are facing, would you give grace? Would you give hope? Would you give mercy? And we thank you for the wonder of a Savior who willingly gave his life and died such a horrific death that we might have life through faith in him. And so, Father, we want you to know we love you, we exalt you, we honor you, and we pray in the great name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. 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 All right, three weeks ago, I kicked off a four-week series of concluding messages as I wind up my 27 years of ministry here at Wheaton Bible Church. 27, I should say, wonderful years. I want you guys to know I love you. Man, I have been so ministered by the Holy Spirit. I've been so ministered to by the Holy Spirit in your lives and the friendships I've enjoyed over these almost uh, three decades. It's just been incredible. I believe in you. And so these four messages are four of my deepest wishes for you. Three weeks ago, I said, I wish for you confidence in the character of God. And we looked at Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis and Joseph's remarkable confidence in the holiness of God, in the power of God, in the sovereignty of God. I wish that confidence for you. Now, today, my second wish is that I wish for you joy in the glory of God. And what I'm going to say about the glory of God will probably surprise many of you. And we're going to move from the first book of the Bible to the second book of the Bible to the book of Exodus. And we're going to look at a renowned passage there. And I figure since I started with the first two books of the Bible, I got 64. There are 66 books in the Bible, 64 left. Not going to happen. But I want to begin, first of all, with a story. Last week, I was speaking in Southern California. I was representing Greater Europe Mission, and for a couple of nights, we spoke to a group of high-capacity businesswomen and businessmen. And I was one of five speakers on the the pallet uh, that night, and they gave me about 18 minutes, and it went uh, well. I sat down, and the speaker that followed me was Jim Daly, the president of Focus on the Family, and they gave him, gave him like three times the amount of time. <laughs> it's funny how that works. But I was really impressed with uh, Jim Daly, the president of Focus on the Family, and he told a story, I'm not sure I'm going to forget for uh, a a long time, he told the story about one day being, some years ago, being in the office of one of the United States Supreme Court justices. And they were having a conversation about poverty and legislation. And uh, uh, Jim Daly said, you know, at Focus on the Family, we uh, uh, approach this issue of poverty a little differently. Because research shows us that in homes where there is an intact father and an intact mother, in terms of the marriage being intact, the only 8% of children in the United States, we're talking the United States, in those kind of homes will ever experience poverty. But when there's a divorce, it jumps to 30%. So our mission at Focus on the Family, whether it's poverty, whether it's juvenile crime, whether it's educational achievement, is to do everything we can in a variety of different ways to strengthen the family. And it got quiet. And Supreme Court Justice Kennedy Looked at Jim Daly and said, You know what? And these guys are brilliant, right? He said, I never thought about it that way. How important the family is. And then Jim Daly turned to us in the audience and he said, You do not need to have a perfect marriage. I don't. We can't. We have sinful, fallen hearts. Uh, marriage brings together two sinful people. But you do need, he said to us, to stick together and to do whatever you can to work toward a, a good marriage. And as a product of a divorced home and alcoholic father, I couldn't agree with him. More And now, after decades of pastoral ministry, I am absolutely convinced that the reason so many of us, even as evangelicals, struggle and bicker in our marriages, the reason we fail to extend care and compassion uh, to people around us, especially to people that are different than us, uh, the reason we're often so angry, the reason... We're often so critical, and boy, have we been critical during COVID. Is because at an experiential level, we fail to enjoy the heart of God. You know, it's been said, and, and this isn't new research, but one of the main reasons, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons as our kids get older and move into adulthood, that they walk away from the faith is not because they're rejecting the gospel, but because they've never seen it lived out with tenderness and gentleness in their home. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at the, the most central, That's not exaggeration, it's not hyperbole, the most important, description of the heart of God in the Old Testament, and it's found in Exodus 34. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 34, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me? The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> now, this is the second time Moses is writing down the Ten Commandments on two uh, stone tablets. I mean, in righteous anger, just two chapters earlier, Exodus 32. Do you remember the story? Moses has been taking the Ten Commandments, receiving them from God on Mount Sinai. He comes down the mountain, and what does he see Israel doing? Israel has turned away from the living God and is worshiping a golden calf that his brother built. So let's continue reading verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down, the, uh, down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Hebrew is Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God soak that in slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands or to a thousand generations and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents To the third and fourth generation. You may be seated. Uh, Now, commentators tell us, and this is really rather uh, surprising, is that these verses, verses six and seven, are the high point of biblical revelation in the Old Testament because of what God says about Himself. Because here, in these two verses, God reveals His heart. And what a heart! My stars, what an amazing heart! It's why these two verses, portions of these verses, are repeated over and over in the Old Testament. I mean, we just finished a series on Jonah. Jonah quotes from these two verses in Jonah chapter 4. But I want to back up and I want to give you the remarkable context here, uh, especially from uh, chapter 33, the immediately preceding chapter. Now, what I want you to understand is Moses is frustrated. Moses is discouraged. He's gone for 40 days. He comes back down. His people, is in, his people are in rampant idolatry, one of the lowest of the low points in Israel's history. And Moses is frustrated with his classmates, his co-workers, his neighbors, his family, and his country. Now, I don't know what you do when you're overwhelmed or when you're deeply discouraged, when you're frustrated with your people. I don't know how you handle your problems, but I want you to see what Moses does. I want you to learn from this. Moses goes to God and said, God, Lord, show me your glory. God, uh, the horizontal things going on around me, my circumstances have just been awful. I don't know if I'm up to leading these people. Uh, God, I need to go vertical. God, I need to see you. I need to push refresh. And look at what God says next. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you And I I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. Now, what is God's glory here? And I want to suggest to you this is the the surprise. This is not what you and I would expect. Think about it. Moses asked to see God's glory. And God says, you bet. I'm going to show you my goodness, glory, goodness. Now, uh, this is stunning. I mean, isn't God's glory his vastness, his majesty, his distance, his greatness? No, God says my glory is my goodness. Now here, God's glory is a beautiful concept in the the Bible, uh, but here in this central, seminal passage, God says, my glory is my goodness. And then he goes on to tell Moses, and I will proclaim my name. And uh, God's name is a figure for God's person. It's a figure of speech for his nature, uh, for his heart. And God's goodness here in verse 19, and God's name are two sides of the same coin. Now let's continue. This is just all amazing to me. Verse 21, Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back. But my face, no way. My face must not be seen. So God is about to reveal his glory to Moses. And that's exactly what he does in chapter 34. So now with this context, let's go back and look at verses 5 and 6 again. So verse 5, here it comes. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, uh, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he continues into verse uh, 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 7. Do you see what's going on here? I I mean, this is not what we expect to hear from God. God. In revealing God's glory, God doesn't give Moses so much something to see, but words that reveal who he is. This is why the Bible is so important. It's why the Bible is full of words. God is choosing to reveal his glory, not by putting on a show, but by giving Moses words that describe his nature, his heart, and these are gentle words, tender words, words that overflow with love. God's glory is his goodness. That's chapter 33. God's goodness is his compassion and grace, his faithfulness, his forgiveness. That's chapter 34. 34. And like Moses, I want you to seek God's glory. I want you to go to God when you're overwhelmed when you're stressed, you're full of anxiety, uh, you're down, and say, God, I need to be refreshed. I need to see you. I need to experience you. I want you to do as Moses does here. I want you to seek God's glory, but I want you to understand God defines his glory as his mercy. His love. And so when I say I wish for you joy in the glory of God, I'm talking Exodus thirty-three, thirty-four. 34. I wish for you joy in the overwhelming, overflowing, unending mercy of the living God. Do you see this? I want you to know God's mercy at the core of your being. I want God's mercy, His grace, His compassion, and, and on uh, to be the light that lights up your life, to be your hope in uh, uh, different moments of your life. And I want to say, shame on us for equating God's glory with God's distance, His unapproachability. It's just the opposite here in Exodus 34. And friends, this is the Old Testament. This is amazing. I love the way one author puts it. When we speak of God's glory, we are speaking of who God is, what makes God God. Our deepest instincts expect him to be thundering, gavel-swinging, judgment-relishing, We expect the bent of God's heart to be retribution to our waywardness. And then Exodus 34 taps us on the shoulder and stops us in our tracks. The bent of God's heart is mercy. His glory is his goodness. His glory is his lowliness. And then this psalm, great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. That would be me. And I think you. What I'm trying to say is that when you know experientially the mercy of God, you are experiencing the glory of God. And man... Do I wish this for you? Not just theoretically, but existentially, experientially. Now let me press into this. Uh, what is the mercy of God here? What is the glory of God here? Well, we have all these descriptors, and I, we don't have the time to go through them, but I want to highlight uh, four of them. The first is uh, God is compassionate and gracious. Uh, The word compassion is frequently translated in the Old Testament, mercy. And God's compassion and and mercy is God's pity towards the distressed. That would be the human race. God's grace, as you may know, is God's unmerited, undeserved uh, favor. And the moment you and I come to Jesus Christ, we are locked into an eternal love relationship that at the center is characterized by God's compassion and grace. I mean, these are the first two words out of God's mouth when he's describing himself. He's not putting it on a show. He's saying, let me tell you who I am. I want you, Moses, to enter into this experience. And you know what this means? This means God is not abandoning his people in Afghanistan. Even in the face of death. It means God is never going to abandon you, even in the face of your death. God is compassionate and gracious. I'm sitting at at dinner one of the nights in Southern California And I'm talking to the couple sitting next to me. And they seemed to be a wonderfully solid couple. They exuded um, contentment and, and even joy. And then as we talked more and more, they told me about the living hell they are going through. And I found, I thought to myself, man, this contentment, this joy that they are experiencing is a miracle of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And the tragedy is their 30-year-old son, Nicholas, had to move home uh, a year or two ago because he is physically sinking like a rock. And apparently, he has Lyme's disease and all sorts of complications, so he can't, Listen to music, he can't watch TV because of sound. He he can't drive, he can only be taken to the doctor, he can barely go outside. He has to eat very bland, a narrow range uh, uh, of food, and he is in chronic pain, his mother told me. And the medicine just tends to whack him out. So they don't give him a lot. And now in their late 60s, mom and dad are Nicholas's 24-7 caregivers. Caregivers. Do you think for a second that they would abandon Nicholas because of the intensity of the situation? No, of course not. And if God who tells us immediately that he is compassionate and gracious, and that is infinite, that is eternal, that is almighty. Do you think God's going to ever abandon you? In any situation of your life? No, uh, 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 of course not. God is compassionate and God is gracious. The The second thing we are told is God is... Slow to anger. God is patient. God doesn't have his finger on the trigger waiting for you to step out of line and to say, I'm done. Pop. I'm moving on to somebody that's more spiritual. Pop. You know, God doesn't do that. I've mentioned before that uh, patience is not one of my strong suits. However, there's areas in my life I've been really patient, other areas in my life where I am not slow to anger. So let me talk to you about my marriage. Rhonda and I, as you know, are in a step family. We've almost been married for 14 years now. Previously, we were each married for 25 or, or more years, but our spouses died of cancer. So, together we have seven adult children. All seven of them are married. We have 11 grandchildren. We anticipate about 100 more. <laughs> Please, God, don't do that. <laughs> and you know, step families or blended families have a system problem. It's not anybody's fault, it's just step families are not the way it should be in a perfect world. But we're in a fallen world, and step families are just the way it is. And the system problem is competing allegiances. So, is my primary allegiance to Rhonda, is my primary allegiance to my four kids? And there's a theoretical, biblical answer to that and and that is, Rhonda's my wife. My primary allegiance is to her. And and we get that. But when push comes to shove and the functional reality of the mess and complexity of of, a step family, like, boy, does that get tested? And it's a systems thing. So uh, a while ago, Rhonda and I had a, disagreement. Now, a disagreement is what Christians call a fight. You know, I've actually, this was years ago, I'll never forget, I had a couple say to me, we've never had a fight in our life, and a fight in our life, and I looked at them, and I thought, what planet are you from? Do you talk to each other? (laughs) Oh, we don't fight, we're Christians, come on. Are we serious? So Rhonda and I had a fight. Actually, it was a big fight. And uh, a day or so later, when we're processing uh, what went bad, and my anger in the moment, Rhonda's anger, Rhonda said something to me I'll never forget. She said, you know, Rob, your anger is selective. You never, ever get mad at anybody else. I've never seen you mad at anybody. But boy, do you get mad at me. Oh, and she's my dear wife. And she was right, and I am so wrong. And do you know to the extent I functionally grasp God's slowness to anger, God's patience with me, and all the sin in my life, I mean, every hour sins, When that becomes, uh, when I think about it, when I go vertical as Moses is going uh, vertical, when I press God's forgiveness and love and grace and and compassion to my heart, it, it begins to melt me and it humbles me and it brings me to repentance. And I ask for forgiveness. And what it means for me is I will never, ever give up in my battle to become increasingly slow to anger. Why? Because that's who my God is. I wish for you at the core of your being that you would have an ongoing awareness of how much you've been forgiven. Why? Because Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, he who is forgiven little forgives little. I want you to know how much you've been forgiven, that you might extend all sorts of forgiveness. I need to go on. Frankly, this is overwhelming for me. Because this passage, look at it, tells us that God is forgiving. But notice the emphasis. God doesn't just forgive wickedness. God doesn't just forgive rebellion. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That means if you know Jesus Christ, there is nothing in your past, present, or future that God hasn't forgiven, no matter how deep, how dark it is. Now, I want to pivot for a second and introduce something, and then I'll come back around. Look at this wonderful verse. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder, that is God, will marry you in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride of Christ. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So now look at this, uh, soak this in, so your God rejoices over you. Do you understand that in Jesus Christ, God doesn't merely love you, he delights in you. And he rejoices over you. As a matter of fact, as I'm working my way through the uh, Gospels uh, in my own personal life, uh, Jesus says in Luke's uh, rendition of the Beatitudes that heaven will be full of laughter. Do you know that? Oh, you will weep now, Jesus says, but soon you will laugh. And so I ask myself the question, if God is rejoicing over me every single moment of my life, how can I be so critical of my wife? How can we be such critical people? How can we be so remorse? Why the absence of laughter? Why the absence of joy? Why are we wound up so tight? Friends, God enjoys you. Enjoy him. Enjoy the life he has given you. Relax and enjoy your salvation. Amen? Amen. And let's do that as a body of believers. Now, why do I mention the fact that God rejoices over us, that heaven is full of laughter? How in the world does that relate to forgiveness? You see, You see, don't you? The reason God can rejoice over us is because he has completely and thoroughly forgiven us. And the proof of divine forgiveness is divine rejoicing. Now let me go on. Now we've been in verse 7 with forgiveness, now we're continuing in verse 7, and I want you to see these two Contrasting statements. Maintaining love to a thousand generations, but punishing sin uh, to the fourth generation. Now, the first statement uh, tells us it's a figure of speech telling us God's love never ends, God's love is eternal. God's love knows no bottom and no shore, it's nonstop, it's unstoppable. Uh, That the lease is never going to come up on God's love. And the second statement tells us that God is not a softy. That God will punish sin. Now this doesn't mean, when he talks about punishing the children and the the children, that God is going to punish a granddaughter because her grandfather was in the mafia. But what it does mean is in fact, Family systems, there's a slow drip of sin that has lingering effects and gets passed down. I mean, think of families that are atheistic. We're atheists in our family. And so will the children be. Or racists. Or materialists. Our life is all about things. And what God is saying here is we reap what we sow. He punishes sin. So what this means, according to the Bible, there's only two options. Either Jesus receives the judgment you deserve. That's why he dies on the cross. He receives it because you trust in him. You seek his forgiveness. Or you will face God's judgment on your own because you've rejected Jesus. There's only two options. And if you haven't come to our Savior, come to Jesus But what I want you to see in looking at this is the contrast. Love to a thousand generations, punishment to only the third or the fourth. In other words, God is telling us in, in this wonderful passage where he's revealing his glory, which is his mercy, which is his love. He's telling us his love is the norm. Judgment is the exception. That the glory of God, that is the mercy of God, eventually overwhelms and swallows sin. And sin is the last enemy, and it has an endpoint. But never God's love. So when I say I wish for you joy in the experience of the glory of God, I'm talking about an ongoing experience of being alive in the mercy and the love and the compassion and and the faithfulness of God. And God's forgiveness is real to you, and it changes things in your life. And friends, this is the point of Exodus 34 and Exodus, for that matter, 33. Now, do you see what this says about our relationships? The impatient anger of a parent, the cold unforgiveness of a spouse, the uh, uh, mockery and put downs that characterize our schools and social media, the bickering between neighbors, the divisions in the body of Christ, and there have been a lot lately the thoroughgoing dishonesty that permeates our, our, our culture, ultimately are all because we don't share God's heart. And the first casualty is mercy. But when we tell ourselves, my God has been kind to me, then we will treat Differences with generosity. Because that's what kindness is. Treating differences with generosity. Because we've been forgiven much, we will love much. Do you? Do you live in light of these? wonderful descriptors. Is this the God you know? Uh, The mercy uh, that uh, fills your soul? And by the way, nowhere is our verses 6 and 7 more vividly revealed than in Jesus. Verses 6 and 7 describe Jesus. Verses 6 and 7 point to Jesus. Verses 6 and 7, Exodus 34 are a picture of Jesus. And it's not surprising that in the New Testament, there's only one passage, here it is, where Jesus speaks of his heart, and look what he says. What is his heart? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is picking up on the Exodus 34 theme. Do you think there's a single leader in the world today that would introduce himself and say, "Hey," or herself and say, "Hey, I want you to know I'm gentle and lowly in heart? But when Jesus describes himself, that's what he he says. Jesus is telling us he's the most understanding person in the uh, world, uh, that he is uh, humble, that he is uh, gentle, that he is approachable. Do you know Jesus? It's Exodus 34. It's Matthew chapter 11. And now as I wrap it up, look at Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is speaking, he's speaking uh, uh, to the church and he said, therefore people as God, uh, and then he gives us uh, three descriptions of our identity as believers in Christ. You didn't choose God, God chose you. Uh, You are holy because Christ gives you his righteousness and you aren't just loved, you are what? Dearly Dearly loved. There it is again. And then he gives us five commands in the second half of the verse. Clothe yourselves in these things. And you know, as it is with any command in the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, we aren't equal to it. We can't pull it off on our own. We do not have that ability because of our sinful fallen hearts. But when you see these five descriptors as a picture of Jesus, This passage comes alive. Oh my! Jesus to me right this moment is full of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And and when that begins to do the slow drip in our souls, you know what happens? We begin to change. Because we can't do this on our own but when we see how our Savior is towards me in spite of my junk, then it changes how I relate to the people Uh, uh, around me and uh, my life becomes a a thing of, of beauty so let me just say it again what do I wish for you after 27 years I wish that you would taste and see the mercy of the living God and it would be the dominant reality and theme in your life And if that's true, that changes your soul. It makes you whole. And then you will be a person that extends mercy in life's most difficult moments. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Father, This is an amazing passage. As we think of important texts in the the Bible, Exodus 34 is one of them. And we ask uh, that you would show us your glory. I pray for my brothers and sisters in the uh, days and the years ahead that you would reveal your glory, you would reveal your tenderness, forgiveness, and mercy. God, help us, help us to turn increasingly from what we desire, from the disappointment around us, to rest in who you are in Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen, church, would you stand with us? What a good reminder. What a word. I want us to kind of sit in that moment for, for a second before we respond to him in song. And come before your Father. I feel today is a day for our idols to fall, for our broken cisterns to be forsaken, for us to hear the words of Jesus saying come to me if you are weary come to me you will find rest drink living water you will thirst no more you will be satisfied forever would you there take a moment to respond yourself before the Lord to the word we just we just heard. He wants to hear from you. He wants your heart, your voice, your song. So come to Him. like Moses we want to see your glory but you do say what we have is even better we have seen your glory in the face of Jesus but he could not see we have seen would you open our eyes this morning to see you even more, to taste and to see that the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let's confess this together. We've done this one before. Let's learn it if you forgot it. It says...
4: think of these words we have sung i want to quote to you a verse in isaiah and i want to pray this over you as our benediction isaiah says your name and renown are our heart's desire that's what we've been singing My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. May that be true of all of our lives. And so, Father, for my brothers and sisters, I pray that we would be people that long for you in the morning and in the night, that your name, your nature, your renown, your glory would be our functional heart's desire. And all God's people said, amen. Now listen to me for one minute. We want you to step into service, to experience one of the joys of uh, the gospel. We need you to step into service as you lead. There's all sorts of ministry opportunities represented on tables out in the atrium. Don't walk by. Get some information. And join us in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. Amen? You guys have a great day.